Albert Einstein, as you well know, was uh, probably, at least in his time, considered the smartest man on the planet. Uh, that may or may not be the case, but at least uh, in his time, he, he was attributed as being one of the most intelligent people. He became a very esteemed professor of physics at Princeton University. Uh, you're familiar with his work on the theory of relativity and all that he put into that whole field. And so, as an older man, um, as he would, uh, you know, walk from building to building on the campus of Princeton University, uh, sometimes uh, students would approach him and they would have a question or they would want to seek out his wisdom or his knowledge. One time, uh, a student who was beginning work on his Ph.D., and was assigned the responsibility of choosing his topic for his dissertation. Uh, usually in a Ph.D., you have to select a topic that is going to be your area of expertise and specialization, and you have to write your thesis on a subject that no one has ever written on before in all the world. It has to be unique. You have to be the, the expert in that one specific uh, point of, of your endeavor. And so... Uh, choosing that topic can be a bit of a challenge, and uh, this particular uh, Ph.D. candidate felt that he was at a loss. What, what has not been explored in the realm of physics? Well, a lot, but <laughs> I don't think he was aware of that at the time. And so uh, he approached Dr. Einstein uh, with that question. Do you have some I information for me? I've got to choose my topic uh, it seems like so much has already been done in the field of physics. Could you give me a suggestion on what I could uh, spend the next couple of years of my life uh, researching? And Einstein's answer was, was pretty astounding. He's not, he was not a Christian, but he was a theist. He, he believed that there was a God, a designer behind the universe. And he said to this young man, I think maybe you should write on prayer. Nothing has been done on the area and subject of prayer. Now, that is a very bizarre answer coming from Albert Einstein. But he recognized that there was actually a connection between the operation of the universe and the influence of prayer. In fact, since that time, I don't know if that fellow took him seriously or not, but since that time, people have undertaken to write theses and research works on prayer. Perhaps you've read of some of them, sometimes in alternative medicine, sometimes in uh, New Age uh, ideology, uh, sometimes in well-grounded biblical studies. I had a professor in college who was actually doing his doctoral ministry paper on the subject of prayer, and he was enlisting his students to uh, join him in an experiment lasting 16 weeks. And they were to write down in a prayer journal everything that they prayed for, uh, their scriptural basis for praying it, the number of days they sought God concerning that particular matter, and record any results that they found at the end of that 16-week period that God had answered in their lives. He had two motivations. Uh, one of them was to make prayers and intercessors out of his students, and the other one was to actually um, draw <coughs> correlations of data that he could uh, merge into a scientific analysis 
of the response to prayer versus just kind of coincidence. He was trying to put that together. Unfortunately, he, he died in the flood at Tekoa before he was able to complete that work. Prayer has intrigued and mystified a lot of people. It's one of the most important things. In fact, we say it's the most important work of God on the one hand uh, that we do in terms of God, and then on the other hand, seldom do we really understand it. And I suspect that a lot of you are frustrated, if you're honest, because you say prayers and you offer prayers and you don't see very many direct results. And you find that the whole experience, uh, while being a, a sense of weight upon you to do as a Christian, uh, your, your uh, result is that I don't see a lot of direct connect in my own life. I want to share with you this morning a theology of prayer and some questions about prayer and hopefully bring some insight. Uh, I'm by no means going to answer all your questions. But I hope to get you started on a journey that will make a difference if you're confused. There is a theology of prayer that goes all the way back to Genesis. Doesn't everything go all the way back to Genesis? You keep hearing me say that. There's a theology of prayer that goes back there. And I find that when there is heresy at the root of it somewhere, there's truth. Because all heresy typically is truth pushed out of balance. There's a little bit of the prosperity gospel and dominion theology uh, that I'm going to, in what I'm going to say, but that's the out of balance part. You go back to Genesis and you find a kernel of truth that is there that is very valid. And I think as you study the whole of Scripture, you find that it holds true all the way through Scripture. When God created Adam and Eve, put them in that place in the beginning of creation, coming to the end of the summation of creation, God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and have dominion over the earth. This is yours. I made this for you. Fill it, master it, have dominion. Have dominion over the birds of the air, and over the fish of the sea, and over everything that creeps upon the ground, because this planet is your stewardship. I'm giving it to you. Adam and Eve held a unique role in all the universe. They were spiritual beings who had physical bodies. They were made in the image of God, but they occupied an earthly tabernacle that was made from dirt from the earth. They were the only creatures in all of creation that shared this dual nature. They were the go-between. They were the intermediary, if you please, between the physical world and the spiritual realm where God dwelt. And the Bible tells us that He walked with them in the cool of the day and they carried on conversations as they discussed, I'm sure, the care of the garden and the future and all the kinds of things that were associated with that. My point in bringing this to your attention is the fact that Adam and Eve were given a real stewardship and a real trust over a planet that was entrusted to their care. 
Clearly, they did not understand all of the ramifications of that because they were not intended to be sovereign and independent units. They were uh, created to be walking in relationship with God, living by His Spirit. And so when Satan presented the alternative and the temptation for them at the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the decision they made without their being aware of all of the ramifications, and by the way, the devil always keeps you blinded to all of the ramifications, the decision that they made, in essence, because they left the, the, the loving uh, care and lordship of Almighty God and came under the influence of Satan without recognizing the transition they had just turned over their right to this planet to the devil who began to wreak his havoc upon the planet and what we see today is a very unnatural outcome from the original creation. Paul affirms this in Corinthians when he says to them that Satan is the god of this world, small g. And when he says to the Ephesian church, he is the prince of the powers of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That the devil himself is the one who influences human beings and nations who influences this world and who rules in a, a mysteriously supernatural way through the principalities and powers of the air, the heavenly realms that surround the planet. How does prayer fit into that? God invites us back into a relationship with Him because He is a covenant-keeping God in all respects. And, and I believe, and I am confident, I can't do this in the next 25 minutes, but if you want to sit down with me uh, at some point, I'm confident that I can take you through the Scriptures and show you on various subjects of prayer that God has chosen not to act in this world unless some person in this world invites His action. He respects the authority that he vested in the human being. And he chooses to act only when he is asked to do so. Now, that limitation, there is a limitation to that, of course. God is sovereign. I'm going to touch on that in a little bit. But all through history, God has had his people. And he has unveiled his plans and purposes to those people who have asked him to enact them. And you can find that going through Noah and through Abraham and through Moses and right on down the line. You can find people who were in tune with God's plans and purposes and said, Lord, I'm willing. I want your will to be done on this earth, even as it is done in heaven. In fact, when Jesus responded to the disciples question and said, Lord, teach us to pray. This is what he said. Pray like this, I don't believe for a heartbeat that Jesus ever meant for us to recite the Lord's Prayer. I think that he was giving us an outline to follow when you pray. And when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, the one who lives in the heavens, your name is holy and hallowed and revered. Glory to your name. I want your kingdom to come. 
And I want your will to be done on earth the way it's always done in heaven. The very first thing that Jesus taught them was to come before God respecting who He is, recognizing His authority and His power, and inviting Him to do what He wants to do on this planet. The same as He always accomplishes it in heaven. Jesus said to His disciples at the end of His ministry as He was about to leave them, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and in earth. That is an interesting statement coming from Jesus Christ at that point, but it's actually representative of his dual nature of the God-man. Because he already had all authority in heavens and the universe. But by becoming the second Adam and the Redeemer and the one who defeated sin and Satan on the cross and, and was able to bring about the reversal of the consequences of the fall and offer redemption rising from the grave, now as a resurrected man, he said to his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I have taken back what Satan sold, stole. I have taken it back. It belongs to me. You are my people. Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey all the things that I have commanded you. And as you go, I will be with you, even to the ends of the age. Friends, we have been given under God the stewardship, the authority, and the privilege of being God's people and ambassadors in this world who can request and ask that His will and purposes be accomplished, giving Him freedom to act by His Spirit among us. Intercessory prayer is nothing more or less than inviting the presence of God into a situation to do His will and to do His purposes. And recognize very easily and quickly that He has not given us any power We have authority, we have privilege, we have stewardship, but we have no power. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. You're impotent on your own. You cannot effect change. But with me, you can do all things. For all things are possible in prayer as you depend upon me. Without me, you can do nothing. With me, you can do everything. Prayer is vitally crucial to the work of God. And we see many times in Scripture, one stands out in the prophet when he says, God says, I searched for a man who would stand in the gap on behalf of the city as an intercessor, and I could not find one, and therefore destruction has come upon the city. It's a very fascinating passage of Scripture. And when you think about it, what God is saying is, there was something in my heart that desired to spare this city of one more disaster, but I could not find anyone to join me in prayer in that purpose. And so sin has run its course, and the inevitable consequences and tragedy have unfolded. God is always looking for those who will take up His work with Him and do it. Prayer is primarily about listening. I think one of the reasons that prayer is so frustrating to us in the main is that all too often, although we don't think about it in these terms, 
we find ourselves merely coming to God to make suggestions to him on how to run his universe. And then we go away thinking that we've done everything we're supposed to do. And then when God doesn't run it the way we suggested, we think that he didn't hear us or didn't answer us or somehow we prayed wrong or uh, we must have missed something. I mean, if, if, I put that, if I put that nice fine house in front of me and I pray for that every day, shouldn't I get it? Maybe I should speak the word of authority. Maybe I should speak the word out loud and, and of affirmation and faith and confidence and then I'll get that house. What, what does it take to get God to do what I want him to do? You are never going to get God to do what you want Him to do. God knows what He wants to do. Prayer is predominantly about listening, not about talking. Prayer is coming to God with a problem or an issue and laying it before His feet and seeking His counsel. Remember Jesus' instruction? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To me, and I, I, I thought of this analogy as I was meditating on this, saying, Lord, how can I explain this? What is this like? And the thought came to me, it's like a captain in the army in the midst of a battle, in the midst of a war. And the captain has a division of, of uh, soldiers under his authority and his control. And he's out there with with many other captains and 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 uh, lieutenants under them and colonels over them and there's a commanding officer of the of the theater and on a given day the captain may come to the commander and say here's the report of my division here's what's happening over here here are our needs we have these many casualties we've had this much loss uh th- this is our situation and uh, the, the commander listens to that report. And in his mind, he says, okay, they need these supplies. They need this replenishment. Uh, they lost a radio person. They, they need a communications person out there. Uh, they need some air support. But then he says to the captain, this is the mission. This is what you're to accomplish in, in your realm. This is the plan. Of, uh, you know, and the captain doesn't have to understand the total picture. What he has to do is find out what he's supposed to do and have the confidence that the commanding officer is going to back that direction and provide the necessary supplies in order to make it happen. And so he goes back to his division and he executes the commander's directions. That is what prayer is supposed to be like with us. That we come into the presence of the Father and we lay before Him the circumstances of our division. Lord, my family's in trouble. My friend is in trouble. I have this need. There's this situation that has arisen over here at church. Whatever the case may be. Lord, you know these things, but I'm bringing them to you. What do you want to do? And then you find out. You say, well, how do I find out? Well, you wait until you get direction. Until God gives you indication of what His will and purpose is. And then you say, Lord, yes, I agree with you. Do that on this earth, just as you have expressed. In the name of Jesus, do that. And I'm available any way that you want to use me in that process. 
Did you notice in the videos the the similarities between guys that lived a hundred years apart almost? E.D. Whiteside was praying because he wanted to build a church and he was going to put a chapel in the front of his house. The neighbors didn't like it. Here's the problem. He goes to pray about the problem. Here's what's happening in my division. You sent me here, Lord. You gave me a burden. You sent me here. I bought the house. I'm ready to start the church. And now I've hit a snag. What do I do? And he heard the voice of God say to him, go downstairs. Now, I want to say something right here because this is my experience. And it may be yours, and if you've never followed through, it may be the reason that you're struggling. God typically does not say, go downstairs, go outside, turn left, walk three blocks, turn right, I have a building for you. Typically, all God says is, go downstairs. And very often, our response is, That makes absolutely no sense. And we don't budge. And God is not in the habit of laying out the rest of the story if we won't trust Him in the front end. I cannot tell you how many times the whole story unfolds piece by piece because God is not necessarily in the business of telling us His whole story unless we are in the habit of obeying. So he says to Whiteside, go downstairs. And he obeys. And then he hears, go outside. And he does. And then he hears, turn left. Walk down this road. Turn here. And God had already prepared the building. You know, there's a, there's a wonderful thing when you're in cooperation with the work of God... I mean, I'm quite sure if we did, got the backstory, we would find that their purchase of the home and being led to that area was just as clearly directed. And when you get the backside of the story and you see where it's going and you see how this thing unfolds, do you know how exciting that is? To, to know you're right in the middle of God's plan and purposes. He's doing and you're part of it. It's like, Wow! This is great. Praise God. I mean, that just leads a whole new dimension to life. Because God is at work and you're involved and He has joined hands with you. It's primarily about listening. Fred Hartley, he's on a Saturday. Did you notice that it was Saturday and he didn't have his sermon done? That happens. I hate to disillusion you, but that happens. And I find myself saying, God, what do you want to say to your people? What do you want to say to your people? I want to tell you something, friends. God is my witness. This is the truth. I never just go prepare a message. Oh, what should I talk about this week? I don't have a clue what you need to hear. I don't have a clue. Only God does. He didn't send me here to tell you what I think. He sent me here to tell you what He wants to say. And I had better get in His presence and find out what that is. 
Now, you know my habit to preach through passages of Scripture verse by verse, but that comes after prayer, saying, God, where to next? What do you want to do? What book? What passage? This whole series on the core values is because God put that on my heart as I said, Lord, what now? And here it is Saturday afternoon, and it's, Lord, what now? And in the middle of that question, God says to Fred, go to so-and-so's house. And he says, are you serious? I've got a sermon. I'm talking to you about a sermon. And God says, go to their house. So he goes and calls. You know, have any of you had this kind of experience? I mean, I have. You know, as he comes back and says, see, the phone's busy. And he hears the voice. I didn't tell you to call. Told you to go. Now, I, I, I want to be candid with you. I, I don't hear God talking to me like this, Ron, can you hear me? Okay, and I'm speaking very clearly. I, I have a quiet sense in my spirit. It's not audible. It's not even articulate. But I know what it means, the words that are being said, just as sure as if I were talking to Ron right there. I know what God is saying. And I sense that I, just as clearly. I didn't tell you to call. I told you to go. Okay, I'll go. And here's the need. You know, we didn't hear what happened about the sermon. I'm relatively sure there was a sermon. God is faithful. This is walking by faith, not by sight, by faith. Okay, a a normal person, if they hadn't heard from God by Wednesday, would forget the prayer and just make a sermon. So that it was done on Friday. But then you're, you're doing it in your own power. What is God saying? My point is this, that prayer is primarily about getting in the presence of God, laying out the problem, and waiting to hear what He has to say. Because that's what He wants to do. And when you put yourself in a position where you can hear, God will direct you. If you're not willing to obey, God doesn't speak. And there's a problem there with a lot of folks, because that leads me to my next point. Why pray if God is going to do what He wants to anyway? And the first flaw in this question may be the presumption that what God wants is anything less than perfect or appropriate. I think that sometimes we are afraid to pray, friends, because we don't really want to know what God wants. We know what we want. And uh, we're a little concerned that maybe when we talk to God about it, He may have a different viewpoint. And so we would rather just kind of say, Lord, bless my actions, bless my work, bless the work of my hands, and uh, meet my needs. But we're not willing to say, Lord, whatever you want. You know, I'm not speaking to a group of children here. You have all lived enough life that you've been hurt. You've been through some heartache. Some of you have been through some tragedies. You've had loss. 
Life has not always turned out the way that you hoped it would or wanted it to. But at the bedrock of all this life, there must be the settled conviction by faith that God is good. That He is good. And that even if I don't have all the answers and can't unravel all the mysteries, all the contingencies, all the what-ifs that I have at the very core of my being, the faith confidence that God is good and always wants the best for me. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans for a hope and a future. And when I come to God, according to Romans chapter 8, and I don't always know how to pray. And Paul admits that. He says sometimes we don't know how to pray the way we should. We, we're at a loss. We, Romans 8, uh, 26, 27, 28. But the Holy Spirit himself helps our intercession. He prays for us with groanings and utterings too deep for words. Some, some people believe that speaking in tongues. I'm not disavowing the validity of the gift of tongues. I'm just telling you, too deep for words is too deep for words. There are times when you get in God's presence and you cannot speak. You are simply overwhelmed by a situation and you are speechless. And you cry out from your heart, Holy Spirit, in the groaning, intercedes. But Paul gives this assurance that he intercedes for us according to the will of God. For God always causes everything to work together for good, for the good, to those who are the called according to his purposes. Do you really believe that God wants something for you that is not the best? That you have a better idea? Really? I think sometimes we are afraid to pray because we don't know that we're going to want the answer, but the answer is never going to be to our detriment. It's always going to be to our good. The second flaw in the assumption is that God will still act even if no one prays. I tried to address that in the beginning. God is sovereign, He rules the universe. And he has a plan and purpose for human life and human history. That's why he can pre-write it. But do not make the mistake of being a fatalist and thinking that there, there is no choice whatsoever in the matter. Listen, God holds the complexities of the universe and the outworkings of, of human beings and the plan of, of humanity. God holds that mystery in, a, in an infinite mind. It's far beyond anything we can comprehend. But he works through the prayers of his people. It is important that I pray. If, if it doesn't matter whether or not I pray, Richard Dawkins, at the end of that uh, great film by Ben Stein, you know, he gets to the end, and Dawkins is standing there in the last episode of the film in the debate between creation and evolution. And I will give Dawkins this, although I don't think he really believes it in his heart of hearts, but I will give him this. He is consistent. 
And he's kind of stamping his feet and pointing his fingers and he's saying, there is no free will. There is no free will. I mean, he's just vitriolic. And, and he's right. If he's right. If we're merely a product of chemistry, time, and chance, a Big Bang explosion with no God behind it, there is no free will. You can't choose anything. You only do what your chemistry dictates. You're a product of biology and chemistry and physics. And you have no freedom. I mean, he's dead on the money. Some people have carried that into their theology. They think that God has predetermined every step they take, everything they'll do. You've heard of the joke of the Methodist and the Presbyterian that were walking together and headed down a stairwell, and they both tripped, and both of them tumbled to the bottom of the flight. And the Methodist gets up and wipes his brow and checks himself over and says, Oh, Lord, thank you so much for your help through that experience. And the Presbyterian gets up and wipes his brow and says, Oh, God, thank you. That's over with. Go home and think about it. Some people believe that everything they do is preordained and predetermined. Friends, you know me well enough and I've taught you enough scripture. That is not true. If it is, there is no such thing as love. And if there's one attribute of God that might stand out above the others, if that's possible, love is that attribute. Love has to have freedom. There has to be a freedom of choice. If there's no freedom, there's no love. God did not make robots and pre-program them to do exactly what he directed. Otherwise, love does not exist with him or with anybody else, and there is no free will. But the fact of the matter is that you and I do have limited freedom. And prayer makes a difference in the outworking of the choices within those boundaries. Let me explain that. I tried to think of another analogy, and I said, Lord, help me to explain this concept in a way that we can understand. And most of you are parents, and you know uh, you know, that, that you create a play area for your children. You kind of child-proof the, the, the region, and you create a play area that's safe. And you turn them loose. You don't tell them which Lego to put on top of which Lego, and which, you know, some parents do, and they, they really do bad things to their kids when they do that, but... But most parents just kind of turn them loose in the playroom. Or they turn them loose in the backyard that's fenced in. They let them make choices and, and exercise their freedom and their creativity within a space that is predefined and predetermined where, and here's where the analogy breaks down, they don't get hurt. Unfortunately, in a sin-filled world, Within our playroom that God has defined, we do make bad choices, and sometimes we do get hurt. But sometimes we're playing with the neighbor kid, and he makes a bad choice, and we get hurt. But my point is that God, like the parent, places us within limited boundaries that we can exercise our freedom there are some things that you cannot mess up. You will not mess up the return of Jesus Christ. 
Okay, no matter how ornery, belligerent, or rebellious you become, you will not throw God's plan of the ages off track. He has the plan. But within a relatively limited sphere, you have choices that are genuine. And you are encouraged by the Scripture to avail yourself of the Holy Spirit and live according to God's purposes for you. You can do otherwise. So can the people around you. God has the plan figured out. But you have a sphere of influence and freedom where you can pray and release the Holy Spirit to work and to act in those situations. Some people read the story of the, of the person in the book of Acts who was saved, and it said, Today salvation has come to you and to your whole household. And they come up with this concept of, of a whole house salvation. And they believe, well, if the Father believes, everybody else is going to come to faith. That's not what the Scripture says. By the way, it's a hermeneutical principle. You don't take your doctrine from a historical narrative. You take it from teaching passages. That's what happened with that person. And prophetically it was spoken that his family would be saved. But there's no guarantee that if a father comes to Christ, his whole household is going to be saved. The Bible doesn't teach that anywhere. Every single person has got to come face to face with Jesus Christ and make that decision. And we pray for them by praying the work of the Holy Spirit into their lives. What does he do? He convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He awakens their consciousness. He makes them aware of their need. He puts people in their path that share Christ. If we didn't pray, nothing would happen. But if we do pray, God orchestrates the scenarios around their lives such that Paul on the road to Damascus, do you remember what Jesus said to him, among other things, as he was stricken blind by the light and fell uh, kind of dumb at his feet? Jesus said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Paul had been trying to swim upstream against the obvious working of the Holy Spirit. And he was finding it increasingly difficult. And he was made for that moment of decision. And I believe that God brings people to that through our prayers. It is important that we pray. God will not lead people to sin. He's never going to do that. And by the way, he's not going to give you the answers to a test if you've never cracked open the book. Don't pray in that direction. Well, you can. I mean, you can pray, but uh, I'm not going to expect a lot of answers. I, I might pray, Lord, bring to my remembrance the things that I've studied and help me with that, but uh, be a little hesitant about asking him to give you the answers to a test you've never looked at. Prayer makes a difference. God wants to work in this planet. His will be done on this earth the way it is in heaven. He wants you to seek Him that He can unfold that plan and make you a part of it. Yeah, the big things are going to get done. God is going to fulfill His purposes. But the little things, and they're only little compared to to the world plan of history. They may be big in your life and in your family and huge among your friends. God will respond through prayer 
to those situations. He calls us to prayer. Jesus said this, We ought always to pray and not to faint. And Paul said to the Philippians, In everything, don't, don't be worried, frustrated, and anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, before we go today, Michael's family have had just no end of big events. <laughs> and uh, Tammy got married last weekend, and uh, off she went with her new husband, and away they went on starting their lives together. Laura is about to embark on a whole new journey this week as she goes to Indonesia and takes up a teaching post of first graders. Am I right? And you're going to be using an international curriculum. Interesting. And uh, Laura goes as a teacher, but she goes as a follower of Jesus Christ, bearing his light and his life to take him into a place where who knows how God will use her. So, Laura, can, can I have you come up as I have our closing prayer? Can I just ask you to come up? We want to pray for Laura. I want you to keep her in mind. How long a contract do you have here? Two years. Two years. So, it's be for at least two years, huh? I'll come back. You'll come back to visit? Okay. Well, keep, keep, us, keep us in mind. Don't forget we live here. So, I want you to, to pray with me for Laura this morning as she heads out. Can I put my arms around you? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you that prayer does matter. And so, Lord, we bring Laura to you. She has been seeking you. She has been asking for direction. You have opened these doors for her. A friend that she worked with in China has made her aware of this, and things have unfolded to make it possible for her to step into this role. Lord, it's all the way around the world. Um, Please go before her, prepare her paths. The works that you created in Christ Jesus for her before the foundation of the world enable her to walk in them faithfully, to find them clearly, to rest upon you, Lord, guard her travels, keep her heart and mind fixed on Jesus Christ. Uh, When she's lonely, be her dearest friend, and when she's exuberant and excited, Uh, May you be the first to hear her praise and use her and minister through her. And bless the Michaels family. They're getting stretched out all over the world. Keep your hand upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.